0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome back. Hello, Willingham here with you for another two hours here on 1067 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. And before I went to break last, I introduced a new segment to all the callers and listeners out there. Steamy takes only. We only want the hottest takes for that segment. You can get at me on Twitter with the hashtag STO, or you can go hashtag steamy takes only. And the question I posed to the listeners in the last segment is which sophomore quarterback in the NFL is in the best position to succeed in 2022? And before we get to the guest, I want to read one of the tweets. Jt Bet on Twitter says, Trevor Lawrence, and it isn't even close. Look at what he's got around him, plus Doug Peterson. Come on, bro. Well, guess what, James? That's the easy answer, buddy. It's hashtag steamy takes only. And I'd be a fool if I went with the easiest choice but I also had the easiest choice of guests when I want to talk National Football League. Mark Schofield, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, wall-to-wall coverage of the National Football League. They've been on this 2022 offseason, cover-to-cover. Mark doing great work over at USA Today, and he joins me now on the BetQL guest hotline, BetSmart to Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app. Marky, Mark, what's going on, my guy? It's been a while.
2: It yeah, has been a while and now. It's great to be with you, and I think this, spiciest, steamiest take in response to that question would be Davis Mills.
1: That's what I said, Mark. That's what, look. Yeah. Thank
2: you. I mean, that's the spicy one, right? That's spicy like, one. That's what I you said. They're not a great team, but they get a lot of draft capital. And there were moments last year, Linnell, and we've talked about this, where Mills looked like out of all the rookie quarterbacks, maybe he had the best one or two or three games out of the entire class.
1: What I was saying, Mark, is he's got that toughness. I referenced... That uh, 40 to nothing beatdown they took at the hands of the Buffalo Bills in week four. And then how he responded yes, it was a loss against the Patriots in the next week, but he responds going 21 to 29, three touchdowns, no picks, coming off a of four INT performance the week before. So this kid doesn't get rattled.
2: No, no, not at all. And the difference that you saw in Davis Bills from that game against Buffalo, where he had an interception in that game where it was just like, okay, this is a high school play, right? Like he's staring this down. It was so bad to know that, like, both linebackers jumped the road. That's how bad he stared this throat out. And then the next week he goes up against the Bill Belichick defense, up against a team that right around the December time frame was like, oh, man, the Patriots, they're back. They figured it out. They're rolling under Matt Jones. And he throws, like you said, 300 yards, three touchdowns. Looks He outplayed Matt Jones in that game. And so the difference from one week to the next tells you, like you said, this kid's tough. He's competitive. He can figure it out. Now, look, Houston, like we said, not the best team, but if you want to have this spicy take, like, hey, the guy that's in the best position to succeed, the draft capital around him, the additions that Houston made in this offseason, they did add some nice pieces around him. Well, John Mechie, fantastic receiver. I don't think he falls to the second round if he's completely healthy. Big fan of Green. A lot of people thought, hey, you know, he's perhaps the best interior offensive line, or at least the best guard in this class, so they added some pieces on offense. And so, you know, Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie, they've really fixed that secondary in the span of a couple of draft picks. That's a pretty nice start for that team around Davis Mills.
1: And, and and Mark, a fan got at me a little bit on Twitter saying, obviously it's Trevor Lawrence. And I'll ask you this. You're somebody who knows the quarterback position inside and out. Trevor Lawrence has a little bit of a hurdle to overcome that nobody's really talking about. Second offense in his second year in the NFL, we've seen numerous young quarterbacks be broken by those same turn of events, how important is that uh, in in year two that he's learning a different offense, and how do you think it affects him?
2: Yeah, I mean, continuity allowed a young quarterback is critical for their success. You look at what, what is every fan base with a young quarterback talking themselves into right now. I've heard it from Giants fans and Eagles fans and fans of other teams, including Jacksonville fans. We want to have our guy do what Josh Allen did, right? Well, Look at what Buffalo put around Josh Allen. He had one offensive coordinator. He's had his, he will get his second offensive coordinator since his time in the NFL this season with Brian Gable's departure, obviously, to the New York Giants. Well, at the same time, who are they bringing in? Ken Dorsey, who was the quarterback coach. So there's still continuity around him. You look at some other quarterbacks that have been in multiple systems. Daniel Jones, for example, comes in under one system, then it's a second system, now a third system. And you go back to his time in college, fourth offense, so like five offenses in five years, that's tough. And so for Lawrence, yeah, the system that he was running at Clemson, now the offense he was in last year, and now this year with Doug Peterson, yes, Doug Peterson is a great offensive mind. He certainly helped get Carson Wentz into that 2017 version of Carson Wentz that was before he got hurt, an MVP candidate. And yes, Doug Peterson is a good offensive mind and has a history of developing quarterbacks. But three offenses in three years is tough for any quarterback, let alone a guy entering his second year in the league. And so that's going to be tough for Lawrence. I have high hopes that Lawrence can get to where Jacksonville fans hope he can get to. I still believe that, look, you watch him, that game against Indianapolis Week 18 was some of the best football he played during his entire rookie season. So I have high hopes, but it's not a slam dunk that Lawrence is going to get to where people want him to be.
1: Joining me right now on the BetQL Guest Hotline is Mark Schofield, of USA Today's Touchdown Wire. You can give Mark a follow on Twitter at Mark Schofield. And Mark, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring things back home to the NFC East. I'll start with the Philadelphia Eagles because I know you do a little bit of work uh, for the Eagles as well. A lot made about the offseason that Philadelphia has had. If you look at all the pundits around, you know around the nation, Philly lauded as the best offseason in the National Football League. But, Mark, you know where I'm hitting at with this. There's one major question still to be answered on this Philadelphia Eagles roster, and that is the quarterback position. What are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts entering year three?
2: I mean, it's the same conversation we just sort of had, right? That idea that can you get the quarterback to take that year three lead? And, you know, similar to the discussion we were just having, Jalen Hurts obviously played at Alabama, had a different offense at Oklahoma. And then he starts as a rookie with Doug Peterson now, you know, under Nick Sirianni and Shane Teaching, at least it's the second year in the row. But yes, they've made some great acquisitions around the quarterback position. They've had a tremendous offseason. I think, you know, Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni did a very good job at identifying talent, adding talent around Jalen Hurts. I think the AJ Brown trade is big for a couple of reasons. One of which it allows them to take Devonta Smith and play him in more of a Z off ball, even maybe put him in the slot at times. No, because while he was good last year, there were moments, and I'm sure you saw this as well, where more physical corners were able to jam him, were able to pin him to the sideline a bit. Now you put him in that sort of off-ball, off-line role, because you have AJ Brown to be that X-type. It's going to help him. But does Jalen Hurts take that year-three leap? I think he can. I think similar to what we were talking about with Lawrence, you saw signs as that year went on, where early in the year he was skittish in the pocket. He'd look at his first read and pull the ball down and start to run. And then it was that Denver game, Linnell, where you saw him. You could literally see him fight that urge. He'd pull the ball down, start to move his feet, start to bail. And it's like, no, 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 I've got to reset myself. I've got to make a throw from the pocket. So that process is underway. If that continues, then the Eagles and Hurts can get to where they need to be. But if he doesn't live up to those expectations, if he reverts to some of the, like, one-read-and-go type of moments that we saw early in the season, he's going to continue to see that slow development and it's not going to come at the pace that the Eagles need. And for an athletic quarterback like Hertz, that's a tough thing to unlearn because probably every time he stepped on a football field until his rookie season, he was one of, if not the most athletic guy on the field. But now, the guys on the other side of the ball at the NFL level, they're as athletic as he is. He tries to bail and get to the edge. Guys like Von Miller's, They're going to match his speed. They're going to match his athleticism. Now he has to learn to fight that urge, resist that urge, and make throws consistently from the pocket. If he does that, he can get the Eagles to where they need to be. But it's a tough thing for a young quarterback who's been so athletic his entire life to learn.
1: And, Mark, I'll keep things in the NFC East here. It's been a while since I've talked to you. And since we've last talked, the Washington Commanders have acquired Carson Wentz at the quarterback position what were your initial thoughts on the trade, and do you see Washington having the pieces around Wentz to be successful and, and make a push at this NFC East division title?
2: I mean, I think they have the pieces around Wentz, but the it's question an, it's an
1: is... It's a skill group now, Mark. I didn't I <laughs> mean to cut you off. I wanted to ask you this, too. What are your thoughts on this skill group? Because nationally, they're not getting a whole lot of love.
2: They're not, but I really like, if you think, start with that 13 personnel package, right, the three receivers. I think, obviously, everybody nationwide knows what Terry McLaurin You do. And I think there are expectations that, look, Curtis Samuel, he could be that nice sort of third-type receiver. A lot might hinge on Jahan Dotson, but he was a player that I really liked studying. Somebody that look, people will look at him, look at the size, and think, all right, well, he's probably just a slot receiver. But then you see how Penn State used him. And he's got the ability to play on the boundary. He had the ability to play outside. He had the ability to separate against press-aligned defenders. And, you know, Big Ten, SEC, ACC, all that stuff, yes, you know, he probably didn't face absolute elite corners week in and week out, but he faced some good players in the Big Ten and had that success against press-aligned defenders. And so I think that's going to help. We know that, and I've seen you talking about this and others have talked about this as well, They want to be a vertical pass and attack, and I think that's what Wentz fits best into right now. When you watch him under Peterson, even in that 2017 season, he was at his best when pushing the ball downfield. Under Wright, tried to do a lot of stuff in the shorter areas of the field, a lot of short mesh crossers, triangle reads. Wentz is better when he's just letting it rip and attacking downfield. That was when he had his best games, his best moments on film last year when he was attacking f- downfield. And so now I think the pieces are in place. My concern and my hesitation, it's flashing me back this discussion to that moment at the oh. combine. When I walked into the, you know, the media area, just as Chris Ballard was walking out and he had gotten oh. done with his podium session and he was red faced and people were following him. And it was just chaos in the media room. And I'm like, what did I miss? Cause I had just landed and everybody's like, look, man, Chris Ballard just, absolutely torched Wentz's draft stock, or his you know trade stock here. He just basically said, look, you know, I had a conversation with him for an hour. He has to handle coaching better. And so everybody just left that meeting, left that interview session thinking, they're not going to get anything for this guy. They're going to have to cut him. Maybe they'll get a seventh. And so to see Washington turn around and make this trade, it was surprising at the time. But I think like you and I talked about, it just gave you another window into the fact that this league did not trust this quarterback class. And so Washington sitting at 11 realized we need to address the quarterback position, but none of the guys in this rookie class who could all be available to us at 11 would be a better option than Carson Wentz, even given what Chris Ballard just did. And so a bit of a long winded answer there. I was surprised by the trade, but I think now with the benefit of what we saw play out at the draft, which is one quarterback in the first round and just one in the first two rounds, really, It makes a bit more sense. I think the talent is there, but which version of Wentz are we going to see? We probably won't see 2017, but if Washington can get at least 2019 Wentz, I think the pieces are in place for this to be a successful year.
1: Mark, I'll I'll stick on Wentz here. I'll argue this. Even if we get the Wentz from 2021, I mean, look at – and obviously I was the leader of the Heineke Hive. You know this. But just look at how porous of play Washington got out of Heineke last year. If you put Carson Wentz's 27 touchdowns and 7 interceptions into Washington's QB slot, I mean, this is a team that probably might win 10 games a season ago, even with the tough schedule they had. And I say all that to ask you this. I just mentioned the numbers, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Why is it that Indianapolis was so quick to move on from Carson Wentz? Because when you look at it from just a numbers standpoint, he had a pretty good year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of it came down to how that season ended. And I think in many ways, the sort of national conversation around Wentz has, there's a lot of recency bias at play here, right? Because you have a situation where you're going out of Jacksonville in a must-win game and you lose, you know, that's going to sort of poison the discussion in a sense. People are going to be fixated on that was his last time out and look what he did. And then obviously the situation, the scenario I just described at Indianapolis during the combine where as we all thought, Chris Ballard basically took a blowtorch to his trade capital, his trade stock there. But I think if you step away from that, and if you you have those other moments where, you know, interceptions you threw against Houston, the interception slash fumble on that rainy night against San Francisco, if you strip away those like five to seven plays per year, where once just does something that makes your jaw drop for all the wrong reasons, he's a solid NFL quarterback. The problem is, can you get those can you cut down those five to seven to two to three? If you can do that, I think you're gonna be in a good position. But even with the five to seven, he put up those numbers he put up last year. And I think like you said, No, that would have been an improvement for Washington from a from a quarterback production standpoint, which is probably why they looked at this entire quarterback landscape. They looked at even what Ballard said and said, you know what? Even with all that, this is still an upgrade. That season he had last year is still an upgrade. As for why Indianapolis moved on though, I think it's a lot of how that season ended. And things that happened away, you know, with the the Ballard comments in terms of how he had the criticism and how he took the coaching at times, you know, they're going to have to sort of address that. Washington will in the season ahead when Vince, you know, when he makes a mistake, how they handle that. But I think you take away those bad moments from Wentz. There's a still good, still a good quarterback inside.
1: Yeah, you mentioned to Mark Kenny Zampezi, the quarterback coach here in Washington, and Scott Turner, the OC. Scott just got a brand new extension. Uh, at the start of this offseason, he's going to have to earn his money, and you continue to earn yours, my friend. I appreciate you joining me. Anytime, my friend. Be well, buddy. Have a great night. Yes, sir. You too, my man. Boy, what a great interview that was. Mark Schofield, USA Today, Touchdown Wire. I love having Mark on, because you're getting it from a national, you know, standpoint, and Mark watches a lot of a lot of film. A lot more film than Linnell watches, uh, by the way. But Mark, Mark Schofield, definitely my guy. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. But when we come back, We'll continue to dive in to our STO take of the night. Which sophomore quarterback is in the best position to succeed in 2022? You can continue to get at me on Twitter at N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P. You can also blow my line out on the MGM National Harbor. Listener lines 1-800-636-1067. When we come back, I'll tell you which sophomore quarterback is in the worst position to succeed in 2022. Don't go anywhere. Ride with me. Lanelle Willingham here with you on 106.7 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday
0: afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: That's a bird's-eye view of the National Football League here in the 2022 offseason. But before we went to break, I teased it again. Hashtag STO, get at me on Twitter. With the hashtag STO Steamy Takes Only, and my question for tonight was which sophomore quarterback is in the best position to succeed? Uh, before Mark came on, or before Mark came on, I, I answered with Davis Mills, and I went on my rant about why Davis Mills was in the best position to succeed. And Mark just backed me on up, making me look like a genius. Mark obviously watches so much film; obviously, he's so credible which obviously makes me so credible because we gave the same answer. But I'll flip that question on this side of the break for Steamy Takes Only, hashtag STO or hashtag Steamy Takes Only on Twitter at N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P. Which sophomore quarterback is in the worst position to succeed in 2022? And for this one, I feel like it's a plethora of answers. Uh, We touched on... We touched on Trevor Lawrence and him having to adjust to a new offense here in year two with Doug Peterson taking over for Urban Meyer, and we mentioned it with Mark. We've seen the track record of some of these sophomore quarterbacks or young quarterbacks in general having to consistently switch offensive coordinators, and Mark gave the great example of Josh Allen about how he's just now listening to, you know, getting a different voice in his ear uh, from that offensive coordinator standpoint. And it's not even a completely new voice. It's John Dorsey, uh, his former quarterback's coach. But Mark broke it down uh, there for us, just how important it is to have that continuity as a young guy, learning the same offense, back-to-back seasons. Obviously, Daniel Jones, a good case for what happens when you don't get that continuity. Uh, Daniel Jones obviously looks like he's on his way out uh, with the Giants. But I'll tell you which sophomore quarterback is in the worst position to succeed. And all my fans out there in the Bay Area, cover your ears. I think it's Trey Lance. Trey area is what they were calling him. We saw in that first, in the, in the preseason, some of the things that this young man was capable of. But it's a, it's a it's a mind-scratching, head-scratching situation out there in San Francisco. And I'll tell you why. It's well-documented the draft capital that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch gave up to move up to acquire Trey Lance. And I don't have the exact uh, details of the trade right here in front of me, but multiple first-round picks. And this isn't the first time Kyle Shanahan's been a part of a trade up for a big-time quarterback. Just see 2012 here in Washington when the team decided to trade up for Robert Griffin III. And this situation sort of reminds me of the situation back in 2012 when Washington selected Robert. And I'll tell you why. I don't believe that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were on the same page when it came to moving up to acquire Trey Lance. And and, and here's why I say that. The quarterback that Trey Lance had to supplant to become the starter in San Francisco. He's no Joe Namath, right? He's no Tom Brady. It's Jimmy Garoppolo. A guy who has been as inconsistent as they've been since he's entered this league. And last year, as poor as Jimmy Garoppolo played, we didn't see the quarterback that the 49ers traded up for, he couldn't supplant Jimmy Garoppolo. And in 2021, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,800 yards, 68% completion percentage. A jag, like my big bro Grant Paulson would call him. He's a jag, just, just a guy at the quarterback position. And he's pretty much always been just the guy. Um, And he's had some major durability issues. And for that reason, I think it says more about Trey Lance than it does about Jimmy Garoppolo. The fact that Lance was unable to supplant him a season ago as the starter, and we watched multiple games where Jimmy Garoppolo just completely threw it away for San Francisco. And if you've got this Maserati in the garage, why are you still pushing around your your PT Cruiser? You feel what I'm saying? You got a Maserati in the garage and you're still driving a PT Cruiser. You have an iPhone 13, but you're still using your Galaxy X6 at Drab T-shirt. That's for my, my, my Android users out there. But I'll, but I'll get back on task here. And, and, I, and I say all that to say, Trey Lance still hasn't been named the starter for 2022. And I'm talking to my producer Denton Day during the break and he, and he says, well, when out. You know, Kyle's really really floozy when it comes to that. He likes to play a lot of mind games with that. He's a goofball. It's high school-esque. He likes to be this weird college because college coaches don't announce their
3: starting quarterback until like a day before week yeah. one. I don't know why he does that. He loves the
1: drama, the attention. It's very, very strange. Look, that seat for Kyle Shanahan, it's getting warm. It's starting to get warm again, I feel like, because you don't make a move of this magnitude to go up and get a quarterback, to not put this young man on the field. And they've got the drama surrounding Debo Samuel. They are, they were very injured a season ago, to say the least. They they dealt with a lot of injuries, and that's the thing. And the reason why I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But I say this for Trey Lance and why I have just no confidence in him coming in and being the guy for San Francisco. It's not because the rest of the roster. I don't know what this kid is. I I don't know what Trey Lance is. I know that they traded up massive haul of draft capital to acquire him. I haven't seen why yet, though. They haven't proved why they gave up that huge haul to go get him. Because like I said, he couldn't even unseat Jimmy Garoppolo a season ago. As a matter of fact... If my, if my memory serves me correct, of the first-round quarterbacks, he is the only one started the least amount of games. We even saw the S show that was in Chicago with Justin Fields. I have more confidence in Justin Fields moving forward, and he didn't show me zilch. showed me nothing. He showed me nothing, but he also was dealing with a much worse supporting cast than Trey Lance has out in the Bay Area. Trey Lance has got, arguably, I'm a Washington Marking fan, and this is my favorite player. Trent Williams is the best left tackle of the 2000s, in my opinion. Of the 2010s, at least. 2010s is not even an argument. He is a physical freak at the position. And if it wasn't for the malpractice here in Washington from the, from the physicians, he'd still be here. And we'd have the best left tackle in football, but we don't. That's here nor there. We're here to talk about Trey Lance. And when I look at Trey Lance and everything he's got around him, Kittle. The offensive line. The running game that the Shanahans just somehow get to work. I mean, they could could put pads on me and put me in the backfield. And I'd run for a thousand yards and Kyle Shanahan's offense. Everything is there for Trey Lance to succeed. My only question is. What's taking so long? Is this check engine light on? Is that why the Maserati is still sitting in the garage and they're pushing around a PT Cruiser? Tap in with me. MGM National Harbor Lister Lines. 1-800-636-1067. What sophomore quarterback do you think is in the worst position to succeed in 2022? And you can hit me up on Twitter as well. At N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P. Steamy takes only is the hashtag. Our question for you tonight is which sophomore quarterback is in the best and worst position to succeed in 2022? We had Mark Schofield on from the touchdown wire. He was able to agree with me on Davis Mills being the one in the best position to succeed. Now I want to hear from you guys. Who's in the worst position to succeed? And I know there's a lot of Trey Lance lovers out there. It's it's the sexy style of quarterback play. It's It's what today's modern quarterback thrives off of. He has all those tools apparently. Keyword is apparently. And there's a lot of potential. And that P word has gotten a lot of people fired in this industry. Cuz the NFL also stands for not for long. And if they don't figure it out with Trey Lance this season at the quarterback position, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to be around long enough to be to continue making major decisions for this once storied franchise. And my biggest issue is if you can't unseat Jimmy Garoppolo in a season where he only won nine games or 10 games, and it wasn't because of Jimmy Garoppolo, it was because of all the other guys. If you couldn't get on the field over Jimmy Garoppolo in a season where he was playing with one arm and struggled. But oh, he was a good leader. That's what everybody wants to say. He was a good leader. Good guy in the locker room. Porn star Jimmy. Handsome guy. Trey Lance, if you can't supplant him, then who the hell are you going to supplant, son? We'll get to that on the other side. We'll switch gears here a little bit when we come back from the break. I want to touch on these NBA Finals a little bit. We had Game 2 last night, and it was a good old L.A. beatdown. The other team in the Bay Area, the Golden State Warriors, put it down on the Boston Celtics last night. I'll tell you who impressed me in that game and what the Celtics have to do moving forward to avoid going down 2-1 in this series. you listen to The Fan, don't go anywhere. Ride with me. Linnell Willingham here on 106.7 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally.
3: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over twenty-eight million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You did. Leno Willingham back with you. Here on 1067 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. Coming up at the top of the hour, I'll be joined by Chris Miles of NBA TV. We'll talk NBA finals, we'll talk some of the head coaching vacancies in the National Basketball Association. But before I went to break, I told you guys what I wanted to get into. And I'll say it straight up like this Last night, June 5th, 2022. Game two of the NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors punked the Boston Celtics. I'll say it's flat out like that. Call call a spade a spade. And the issue that I have with Boston is this was not the effort that and, and the level of complaining that an Emmy Udoka team plays with. All the sec- the whole second half of this season the Boston Celtics have done a tremendous job taking after the personality of their head coach. And last night in game two, they just simply didn't do that. And it started off early in that first quarter. Boston, seven first quarter turnovers, yet they only trail by one point. And what you saw from Golden State on the defensive end, which you didn't see you know, last Thursday night, it's just a different level of intensity. And I think getting Gary Payton back, I think, helped with that a lot. You saw the way they were able to switch everything. And the other guys for Boston, when I say the other guys, I'm talking about guys like Peyton Pritchard, Al Horford, Grant Williams. They didn't step up when they were needed the most. In game one, these shooters for Boston were unconscious. They were unconscious. And a lot of it had to do with the lack of defensive pressure that we saw from the Golden State Warriors, and, and it was just a completely different ball game. If you follow at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, he got some great nuggets here. Uh, per this is per NBA stats, the Boston Celtics nineteen of thirty-one on open to wide-open three-point attempts in Game One. That includes a whopping thirteen of twenty three on wide open threes. That's in game one. Game two, 12 of thirty-one on open to wide open three pointers. And the wide open threes get cut down to six of thirteen. So obviously they weren't able to do the same damage from the perimeter. And weren't able to have that same success from the perimeter that they were that they were able to have in game one. And give credit to Golden State. I think There was a different level of intensity, and it started off in that first quarter. You saw the level of physicality, and you saw the Boston Celtics get frustrated with it. Golden State changed some of their matchups, and it worked. It it simply just worked out for them. But for the Boston Celtics moving forward, there were some positives to take away here uh, if you're Boston. You saw the reemergence of Jason Tatum. He obviously struggled mightily uh, in that game one. Last night, bounces back, was unconscious uh, from the field. Six of nine from beyond the arc, eight of 19 from the field. Six rebounds, three assists. Now, in game one, if you remember, he set the record for most assists in a debut finals game with 13 of them things, 13 helpers. This was the same Jason Tatum we saw in game one. Don't let the box score fool you. Jason Tatum was just as aggressive and assertive in game two as he was in game one. In game one, his aggressiveness gets reflected in the assist column. Where he ends up with 13 dimes. And then you see guys like Peyton Pritchard and, you know, Marcus Smart and Al Horford just shooting the lights out from downtown. Al Horford specifically was really the head scratcher for me last night because you want to talk about just two polarizing performances from one game to another from Big Al. I mean Horford just was non-existent last night. He just was. 1 of 4. And this is my thing where I get frustrated from from an X's and O's standpoint. From, from just being a casual fan. How the hell do you score 28 points and then only shoot four shots in the next game? It, that doesn't make sense to me on all fronts. Where's your aggression? Go get a bucket, Al. They, they needed you. They needed you last night. Jalen Brown had another so-so performance. Didn't really start doing things till it didn't matter. You know, he had that big first quarter. Let me not say that. He had, he had a nice first quarter. He finishes with 17 points, though, the second leading scorer on the team for the Celtics. They got to combine six points out of Al Horford, Robert Williams, and Marcus Smart in that starting lineup. You got to be better. You got to be better than that. And in my opinion, where this game changed and turned on his head was the controversial play that everybody's talking about this morning. Everybody was talking about this morning and this afternoon and going in tonight. That no call. Well, excuse me. It wasn't a no call. They ended up just calling it a common foul on Draymond Green when him and Jalen Brown were fighting for the ball on, I believe it was the Warriors sideline. And Draymond Green as he normally always does just doing a little extra, right? Trying to get under your skin in a different way. Those of you who play basketball, if you dive on the floor and you get tangled up, you know there's an unwritten rule in this sport. You get the hell off of me after two, three seconds. You're not about to lay there with your legs dangled over my neck. And I saw Draymond Green do that to Jalen Brown last night. And the Boston Celtics responded in a completely different manner than I thought they would. That was, you know, in that second quarter. And it kind of sparked the blowout that was in that third quarter from the Golden State Warriors. They ended up winning the third quarter 35-14. to 14, Reminiscent of the way the Boston Celtics dominated that fourth quarter in game one, 40-16. But it was in that moment, man. Because, look, Draymond Green, once again, didn't do too much. Plus seven in the plus-minus categories. 9.7 assists, five rebounds. But his physicality and Golden State following that and in, in playing and taking after the identity of Draymond Green, it showed. Uh, it, it really did. And, look, Boston's got to be better. And we know that we're going to see better from the Boston Celtics. It was just a poor shooting night. And we've seen that a couple times from Boston in these playoffs. Them just go completely cold from the field. We saw it in the Miami series a couple times where they just got mollywhopped because they couldn't hit open shots. But I think the Golden State Warriors, even though they tied this game up, they've got more to worry about. Because the reason the Golden State Warriors won 53 games during the regular season was because their other guys got involved. Obviously, yes, Klay Thompson missed a a large portion of this season. He struggled again. That's two straight games now in these finals. Klay Thompson has been a no-show. One of eight from three, four of 19 from the field, 11 points. Jordan Poole, his numbers are deceiving. He didn't really get going until garbage time when the game was already too far out of reach for Boston to get back in it, but he was only 6-14. of So They've got to get better production out of their other guys in order, you know, for them to continue to, to beat up on Boston here. But i wrap things up with this. Going into the Garden, I believe, they'll. what are will they, they, they play, Denton? Is it? Is it Wednesday night?
3: Yeah, they take these long breaks in the NBA finals. Yeah, I know they I take
1: know. this long break. They give them time to travel. They're going to Boston. Yeah, relax, Denton. Nah, relax. On give, it give them now. time to travel. Give them time to travel. Look, I mentioned game three because when they walk into the Garden, for game three, it's going to be electric. And Al Horford, you know, spoke about it in his post-game pressure, uh last night. Just talking about how excited this Boston team was to get back home. I definitely think this series goes in the favor of the Boston Celtics in game three. When we come back, I'll be joined by Chris Miles of NBA TV talking NBA Finals. We're also asking about some of the head coaching vacancies in the National Basketball Association. Darvin Ham. New Lakers head coach had his introductory press conference today. It was also announced that Mike D'Antoni named as one of the finalists for the New Orleans for the uh, Charlotte Hornets job. Excuse me. So we'll ask Chris Miles about that. He's from NBA TV, giving us plenty on the hoop. Stick with us. Ride with me, Lanelle Willingham here on 106.7 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app.